welcome to episode 102 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. And today we're here to talk Kevin's pick. Uh, another another classic anime pick from Kevin. Kevin, you picked Mononoke, right? Back in the day? Was that your pick? Was that me or was that Jordan? Oh, it might have been Jordan. Pretty sure it was Jordan. Yeah. But you love that shit anyway. Anyways, we're watching, uh, we're, we're discussing Perfect Blue from 1997, directed by Satoshi Kone. Is that, do, do you, anybody know about the pronunciation? Is it Kone or Khan? Um, no. I think it would probably be, like, Kone. Kone? Okay, like mm-hmm. with an accent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, some, his film, Perfect Blue, along with other films that he made since uh, Kevin binged a couple of those, and I... I'm in the middle of Paranoia Agent, so uh, I can talk about that a little bit. Where are you and, watching uh, it? I bought it on iTunes. Oh, okay. I had, a, I had a gift card from oh, cool. Verizon sent me a gift card, so I was like, yeah. oh, I can buy this entire Anime. series. Anime is not worth your real money. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I've never seen it, so I was like, what if I what if I spend $30 on this thing and I hate it, you know? Like, I'm not even going to finish it, but then... It's not bad. So, uh, yeah, we're also going to talk other stuff we watched and uh, a new letterbox roulette list. Mm. Our third <laughs> list <laughs> because of the uh, transgressive masterpiece that JR and I watched and Kevin wasn't able to finish. <laughs> well, I skimmed through it like I yeah. would like I would like fast forward like I don't know like um, 30 seconds a minute so I got the gist I see yeah I mean that yeah, I'd say it, that's fair yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry I subjected myself to it but uh, I want to be you know I want to be compliant um, yeah so that's it let's get started what do we watch we're not talking trailers right I mean I don't know if we actually decided on that but there's nothing really to talk about right yeah I didn't watch any so okay Okay. <laughs> just Kevin just yeah. grossly unprepared for that. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, we can. I'm sure we'll all watch Army of Dead, Army of the Dead, the first day it's out, so we can make our thoughts on that mm. uh, known then. So no, I'm not sure if that's sarcastic or not. I will watch Army of the Dead. No, I, the day it comes out, I absolutely. Will. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm. You know, like you're a part of my personality hater. is hating Zack Snyder, exactly. so I have to watch. Right, that. right, right, right. I mean, I don't expect it to be good or anything, but I think it'll be entertaining and easy to watch. Mm. Uh, yeah, so uh, what do we watch? Who wants to go first? I watched uh, not a lot of things, so I'm probably not the person to start this week. Look, I'll, um, I'll start. We're recording on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's the Saturday before the Oscars. It is the Saturday... The day after Mortal Kombat was released on HBO Max, mm. um, and one of those is more important than the other. Was this passed so over about, for uh, Oscar recognition? Should it have come out during the season? I think it. Yeah, yeah. I think they really screwed up. Um, if you know, I think if there were a category for for best worst visual effects, um, this actually might still have lost because there's nothing best about it. Um, anyway, I watched Mortal Kombat. Uh, <laughs> I am I am in the bag for for HBO Max as as we have said I I watch all of the Warner's theater releases as soon as I can um 
instead of rewatching Perfect Blue last night, so I was like, I should watch Perfect Blue a second time, just to like see some things I didn't see the first time. I was like, or I can watch Mortal Kombat. Um, so sorry, Kevin. <laughs> um, this is directed by a commercial director named Simon McQuoid. Quoid, I think. It's a really <laughs> weird spelling. Um, and they decided to hire a bunch of people who aren't good at acting, and then Tadanobu Asano as Raiden, and uh, just kind of throw them together with a story that they didn't feel like writing and effects they didn't feel like finishing. Um, and that's it. They, uh, you know, this is a video game movie. Expectations pretty low going in. Um, but when I watch a, a movie called Mortal Kombat, I do expect them to at some point participate in the Mortal Kombat, and uh, and they don't. Right, there I, is no Mortal. There's no Mortal Kombat at all. Right, I heard that there's no tournament in the film, and it's like mm. that's the premise of the game. So why? The, <laughs> right, like the the world that has the tournament, this other world with the the bad guys there, they just decide, oh, we don't want to have the tournament. We're gonna kill the the Earth. Earth Realm champions before the tournament. Um, so that was lame. Wow, that was really lame. They're probably zero. Are they holding back for the tournament in the sequel? Pro- yeah, uh, sure, but that's <laughs> not a good idea. You could just have another tournament in the sequel, right? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's the the biggest sin of this movie is that it um, it doesn't know what it is. It doesn't know what it wants to be. The first, like, seven minutes, and I'm saying seven because, like, two days before the movie came out, Warner, like, released the first seven minutes Mm. uh, on Twitter so you could watch it. Like, the first seven minutes present, like, this super, like, serious, uh, almost, like, Zhang Yimou-inspired action movie. Like, like, you know, like, it's fucking Hero or House of Flying Dragons or something. Um, And then... Well, it's not that, but then everything else is so dumb. And like, there are points in this movie where, where characters will say flawless victory after like a very humorless fight. Uh, someone does say fatality. Um, and, and if we had kind of established this kind of, uh, corny tone that, you know, is, is definitely in the games or what I remember from the games, uh, that would have been fine, but the whole rest of the movie is trying to be like super serious um, <laughs> minus one comedic relief character. So it just, it made, it made no sense. Mm. The, um, you know, it's a tone, tone management issue uh, that, you know, it makes me feel ridiculous for having to criticize a Mortal Kombat movie for this. But uh, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have noticed if, if the movie wasn't just so fucking boring. Mm. Like there's, yeah, there are fights. I, just none of them are cool. Again, the the CGI stuff is uh, is dreadful. Even as someone who doesn't normally notice awful CGI, I, it was offensive. So, uh, you know, this is another loss of my time for HBO Max. Though another win for HBO Max because I keep watching these. I don't know if it's a win. I mean, I've been hearing uh, oh, it's a win. You know, over you. But I've been hearing, yeah, like super negative shit about it. I mean, like mm. nobody likes it, and uh, right, it seems like a real stinker. Now, let me ask you this: two questions. Does this have any semblance or uh, uh, example of the original Mortal Kombat theme music from the original film? 
Yes. That's yes. absurd. Does it does it have my second question? Does it have Johnny Cage as a character? No. I'm but, out. Um, I'm we out. could do some spoiler discussion on Johnny Cage here. Oh. Uh, spoiler. The 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 last scene has our main character, whose name I don't remember, and I I honestly I don't remember him from the games. He might be a character that's newer. Kung than... Lao? No, Kung Lao's in it. Oh fuck. Mm. Uh Kung Lao is actually Kung Lao's the worst. <laughs> uh everything about that character in this movie is just is garbage. Mm. Um I don't know. This main character, who's a who's a descendant of Scorpion. Um Scorpion was killed by Sub Zero four thousand years ago. And uh <laughs> four thousand? Four four thousand years ago. Um hmm. which is like Scorpion is killed by Sub Zero in what is very clearly feudal Japan. Yeah. Which was not four thousand years ago. I right. it was uh it's are you sure it's four thousand years ago? Raiden said four thousand. I could have sworn I saw a screenshot. But Sub Zero said, like, said centuries ago. It said Japan mm. sixteen something. I don't know. Maybe 400 years ago. Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But I don't know. I think Raiden said 1,000. I think Sub-Zero said centuries. But anyway. Um, <laughs> I don't care. Shocking how there's a this lack of consistency is... <laughs> in this film. Indeed. <laughs> this, the main character is a uh, descendant of Scorpion. Um, he, you know, he comes out on top of this not tournament. But... Uh, but now he's like firmly a part of this this world that knows about Mortal Kombat, um, and the ending of the movie sees him quitting his it wasn't a job, quitting his gig as basically like a, a low rent UFC fighter, like talking to his his old manager. He's <laughs> like packing up his locker and was like, "I'm leaving." And the manager's like, "Where are you going?" He's like, "I'm off to Hollywood." The guy's like, "Hollywood? What's in Hollywood?" And then the main character says, it's not what, it's who. And then he just walks off screen, and the camera pans to a movie poster Mm. of some sort of action movie starring Johnny Cage. Nice. Oh. So, apparently the who is Johnny Cage. And he'll be the star of the sequel. Yeah, exactly. They they won't make a sequel. They'll get Nicolas Cage to play his father. (laughs) There won't be a sequel. (laughs) Yeah. I know, uh, John, you'll appreciate this. Uh, the Miz was saying that he wanted to play Johnny Cage if they oh, if they made Jesus. another Mortal Kombat. And I was like, I'm totally down for that. I mean, his energy would fit, I suppose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he has. But does a, he have energy? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's pretty. Uh, he he wouldn't he's fit. a professional wrestler. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, he, I mean, uh, he's, he's he, in uh, damn good shape. Was, he was in... Um, the Marine Three, I think, or maybe four. Mm. <laughs> so, well, I figured over for John Cena in that yeah. franchise. Well, I figured you know John would know him from uh, whatever yeah. challenges he was on because John well, is. I didn't watch. I wasn't. I wasn't. I've seen the challenge that he did, or one of the ones that he was on that he won. Mm. It's from like two thousand and two or whatever. I don't, you know those are those are really boring. The early ones, oh, but okay. um. He does like he hosts some of the shows now, and he hosts reunions and stuff. So mm. he's definitely a, a figure in the challenge universe, right? Okay, but uh, yeah, all right, Kevin. Um, so at uh, at Criterion Channel's uh, prompting, uh, they've got a bunch of Lata Reiniger 
movies on there now. So I watched uh, The Magic Horse and The Secret of the Marquis because I'm a sucker for animation. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were pretty interesting. They're, you know, her stuff is like all like cut out, like shadow play. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, it was well, interesting. It was it, interesting it was, to see. Like, hmm? sorry, no, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was like, it was interesting to see like how, um, like one one, <clears throat> excuse me, one movie that I watched was from. Uh, 1922 and the other was uh, from 53 and it was interesting to see how like similar they were but how like cleaner the one from 53 was although I'll oh heck I'll just go ahead and talk about the criterions that I watched Um, from the criterion challenge (laughs) uh, certain women uh, my first Kelly Reichardt movie, which I've got a stack of her stuff now, so I'm going to watch more of it, which I really enjoyed. I felt so bad for the girl in the um, in the last segment, the one who's like sort of in love with uh, Kristen Stewart's character. Oh yeah, and like she like she drives like whatever whatever it was like three or four hours just to see her. I was like, oh, this poor this poor girl. Like I just knew she was going to be disappointed. That actress, um, who plays her, Lily Gladstone, she's going to be in Scorsese's new movie. Oh, Colors of the Flower Moon. Yeah, nice. She announced as being cast in that. Nice. She's a Native American, so. Right. Anyway. And let's see. Uh, the Little Soldier, which I'm starting to realize that I'm just not a Godard guy, like. <laughs> uh, you know, I've only seen a couple of his movies, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's just so much rhetoric, and like, very little actually happens. And like, it's not, it's not like necessarily a product of the time, because there are other movies that have like better plots and better, um, I don't know, better balancing with. How, you know, with the characters going on their rhetorical spiels about how the world is, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, I, I just, I just couldn't get into it. Um, yeah, I didn't, don't, uh, sorry. Don't, nope. I was going to say, don't, don't give up on Godard yet. He's got, he's got many modes. Okay. Uh, you know, like th- this might mean like, maybe you would like something like a, a married woman more than than something like weekend but but he's there might still be something there okay don't give up completely yeah i i, I wasn't crazy about uh le petit soldat either but um i just think it's like a lesser of his work in that period like i i, I like all the films that are around this time like i like his 60s mm. stuff i just don't i wasn't a big fan of this one but i mean anything with anna anna karina in it is just uh i'm i'm down I'll watch mm. her in anything. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of whatever on her. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're kind of whatever on you. Yeah. Guy. Yeah, nice. Deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> these uh, these Lotta Ring- Renninger. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? What is her name? Mm-hmm. Renning- Renninger. Are these are on uh, the Criterion channel? Mm-hmm. 
I'm gonna have to watch these. Yeah, yeah, they they just had like uh, at the beginning of the month they had like this big like we've got all of these movies now. Um, You know how they do. Um, Of course. Yeah, I'm gonna have to uh, check these out. It looks interesting. I like uh, I like old animation like that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Let's see. And next, I watched uh, Black Girl, which is about a woman from. A woman from Africa like goes to, goes to Paris to. Um, I was trying to f- remember exactly which country she's from. I know it's like what's wrong with the place she's from. <laughs> yeah, he's so mad about it. Mm. Uh, anyway, so she go she goes there to like follow this uh, French couple that she works for because they're going to be on the French coast for a little while as you know vacation. Um, and she kind of like has this crisis of, you know, my life is crap and, um, you know, this is, this is bullshit. Um, I was kind of, I was really bummed about the ending cause like, I really like for a couple of seconds there, I really thought that like it was going to go one way, but then it went another and I was like, Hmm. Like part of me, like I can understand why, but it was also it also seemed to me like pretty harsh. Um, let's see, and then City Lights by Chaplin, which I don't know how they filmed. I don't know how Chaplin filmed his stuff in you know nineteen thirty one to like. I mean, I know like four K is you know a wonderful process; it makes things look amazing. But, like, they had to have been in, like, pretty damn good shape to look the way they do now. Like, it's just beautiful. Yeah, I and, mean, all 4K is, though, really is just, like, scanning negatives mm, at a really high resolution, you know? So, right. I mean, like, that's the goal of... And I feel like, especially mm. with uh, with Criterion, like, their goal would be to preserve how the film originally looked mm. at the time, you know? Right. So if they have a negative, which they probably, I would imagine that they do have negatives of things like City Lights, like a big mm. movie, which is probably well taken care of. And right, yeah. They yeah. probably have like a really good, um, a good negative to work from as mm. opposed to, you know, like other films from that time period that were destroyed or partially destroyed or whatever. Right. And let's see. Then The League of Gentlemen, which I was... I can't say I was disappointed because I didn't know what it was about, but I was kind of like, eh, this could have been better. And was this the was that the Basil Dearden? Yeah, yeah. What, what is League of Gentlemen? Okay, yeah. Um, and then uh, Cleo from Five to Seven, which was good. Don't really have that much more to say about it. Um, I I enjoyed. Did, uh, did you watch? Yes. Keep going. I, I was gonna say I enjoyed the little uh, the little film that uh, Godard and Karina are in. I thought it was really entertaining. The little silent movie that they watch. Did yeah. I, did you did you log it? <laughs> no. This is this is the question. That film is on Letterboxd. <sighs> yeah, that's that's, that's I don't dumb. know. Like, here's the thing. I, like, I wonder if I've marked it. Watch. I've marked it. Watch. I didn't log it though. I don't think. I mean, okay. I did actually. Fuck. I don't know. <laughs> This is embarrassing. It is embarrassing. I remember See, we're talking about this when I watched it on the show. I was like, "Do you log this thing?" Because it is a short film in the film, and it's loggable. But right, I, the thing about like Criterion, though, like I mean, not Criterion. Uh, sorry, Letterboxd. 
So, like, they have uh, Sylvain Chomet's couch gag from The Simpsons on there. Mm. And, like, yeah, and, like, you know, I marked it I marked it as watched because, you know, like, it's on there. You've seen but, it. Yeah, yeah, but it's, like, you know, 30 seconds. And, like, some of the stuff that they have on his list is uh, music videos. So it's, like, I, you know, right. I mean... I mean, if it you really want to go the Michael videos. Jackson way and call them short films, uh, I guess you can go. I guess you can go with that. But I don't know. It seems. I mean, they're not. Extra. They're not not short films, right? I mean, music video is a. It's like a short film mm. medium. It's a. I mean. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems. Well, I, and we only. We can only like look up the music videos that were made by famous directors, which means yeah, you know, they're not. They're not. Like considering the uh, the the genre or art form as a whole, mm. a, uh, like worthy of being there. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. that's fair. I mean, that w- we watched. Uh, uh, Kevin and I both watched "Good Morning" by S- Satoshi Kon, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's a minute long. You know, yeah. and it look it feels like it ends like in the middle of a sentence too. I don't know what's going on with that thing. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of Kon's the way he works like because uh, you know he i think he was like school friends with um uh katsuhiro otomo so you know two guys who are very much into challenging filmmaking or challenging storytelling yeah did you watch a hundred movies between episodes I feel like you just I feel like you just ran through through everything you got. No, Kevin just talked about all of his Criterion watches. He still has mm. to talk about things like Suburbia yeah. and Tokyo Godfathers. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wow. <laughs> and, and Kubo and the Two Strings kicked uh, <laughs> kicked ass this week. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking at Kevin's diary right now. Yeah, I, <laughs> I had a couple of sick days, so I was able to actually get oh, some watching uh, in. Normally, you know, this is not the norm for me by any stretch of the imagination. I had a sick day, and I watched half of uh, Diary of a Country Priest, <laughs> so, and that was it. Oh, and I started Paranoia Agent that day. But mm. anyway, okay, well, uh, I finished, so on my uh, trip to Chicago, I, I drove to Chicago a couple of weeks ago, and on, on the drive, I listened to the a Scanner Darkly audiobook, and I finished it, and uh, I really really liked the like third like the last third of the book like the whole section where uh bob arctor is in rehab or in the rehab facility the new path facility i like loved all that i thought it really like became interesting at that point like it sort of was meandering until then and then uh i liked all the you know like him sort of losing touch with reality and stuff so anyways i wanted to rewatch a scanner darkly the film from Linklater, 06, which I remember liking quite a bit. Uh, I remember like being sort of lukewarm on it when it was in theaters, and then I saw it on DVD, and I remember like being like, wow, this thing is awesome. Like, How did I not love this? And now I'm back to lukewarm. It's, uh, and it's probably because I, I read the book, and it might not be fair to the film, but like the film seems to focus on things that are just... Like, 90% of the movie is before he gets to New Path, and it's just not interesting. It's like, uh, I mean, it just doesn't get into the sort of things that I would want it to get into. I think it's miscast. I like all the actors that are in it, but they're not, 
they're not the actors that I would have chosen for, with the maybe the exception of Robert Downey Jr. who does play the sort of perfect uh, version of that character that he plays, whose name escapes me right now. But um, but yeah, there's just weird like comedy beats in it that don't really work for me, and uh, stuff that was supposed to be funny in the book also, but I don't know, it's just not funny. And um, Woody Harrelson is like hard to look at and he's brutal in it mm. and uh <laughs> i don't know i mean i think keanu reeves is fine but again miscast just there, there's just too many famous faces like i think they would have if they if link especially with link later you think he would have gone like mm. non-actors with this you know because that's like his thing but or one of his things but uh or maybe like have an actor like you know have one big name in it and surrounded by you know sort of unknowns or character actors or something I don't know. It just doesn't really work. And I and also the the animation thing. It's the same sort of. I think it's the same studio who did uh, the animation for Waking Life. And Waking Life. I mean, I'm scared to rewatch Waking Life now, but I think it's really great. And uh, this movie, I don't understand why it's animated. Uh, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. It is outside of like. I mean, like the only thing I can think of is he he was reading this book. He saw that they're all wearing these, or that Bob Archer's wearing this scramble suit, and you're like, well, how do you make the scramble suit work on film? And it works beautifully in a animated film. I mean, it looks great in this movie. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's not really, I don't know if that's a reason to animate the entire fucking thing. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I feel like the, the style would have worked better with other Philip K. Dick novels, even. Mm. I don't know. But, um,. Yeah, wasn't wasn't crazy about it this time. I still, you know, I still enjoy it, and I I'm sure I'll watch it again at some point. And also, yeah, I remember. We, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say when we got on you about reading books and how you should read more books. Yeah, uh, we didn't <laughs> expect that the books would start ruining movies. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's perfectly not. fine movies. I don't I mean I, I I'm not saying time. it's not a fine like it's a like I'm not saying it's a bad movie or anything. Mm. It's it's just not like it's definitely lower tier link later when I would have thought it would have been like mid to high tier before I rewatched it. Mm. I don't think Link Later has many like films that I think are bad. Bad News Bears? I've never seen I've okay, so I've never seen like seen Bad that. News oh. Bears or or like School of Rock or um The Newton Boys. Like I haven't seen these films, so they might mm. be I've heard that uh The Newton Boys is bad for instance, but I've never seen it. So I don't know. I still, you know, I there like there like I said there's a lot to admire about the film, but it's just uh it doesn't doesn't work. I really I mean as a scanner, I can't I I really can't like say enough about the the book and especially the ending of the book the the epilogue of it where like sort of like the dedications page at the end <laughs> was just like heartbreaking mm. aww Jerry's hi Renee baby. A sweet kid <laughs> she's really she's already grown like a lot yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's very small, but yeah, but she, she was like she, she was like crazy tiny the last time I saw her, like mm. in the palm of your hand, tiny. Yeah, <laughs> she's like uh, she's four months and or, you know, like thirteen and a half weeks old or something. Wow, like <laughs> eighteen weeks? Oh, eighteen weeks old? Yeah, sorry, for that. I'm bad. I'm bad at math. Mom corrects yeah. you. That's good. <laughs> 
Right, uh, sorry. No, that's all good. I'm holding her for just a just a couple minutes. That's all good. That's I was cool. just saying the dedications page is heartbreaking on uh, mm. in Scanner Darkly, and it's read by Paul Giamatti, and he does a really great job. I want all mm. of my audiobooks to be read by Paul Giamatti. Mm. That is, yeah, I love love when a book has a good good reader. Yeah, I highly recommend the audiobook of Scanner Darkly just mm. because it's Giamatti. He's great. He does all these weird voices too. It's just so good. Nice. It's really good. I might check. I've been meaning to check out Philip K. Dick, <laughs> the unknown author. Of Philip K. Dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like he—he's kind of a blind spot for me. I honestly, I would say, like, I scanned her darkly is like, so far from what I've read, it might be his most accessible. The one that I, the, as far as the ones I've read, and I've read some of the weirder ones, I guess. But I mean, mm. like, I think even. Like this and Flow My Tears are pretty accessible books, as opposed to say like Valis and the Divine Invasion and his later stuff, which gets really weird. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Electric Sheep is pretty accessible. I just didn't. See, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if I'd say it. like I was going to talk about that one too. I don't know that that one's super accessible either, just because of the I don't like know. You, th- you you look at it and you say like, well, it's Blade Runner, right? So, but it's like. It's got all that religious stuff in it. That's well, you know. yeah. Like that—that's the thing. Like it's you know, it's like mercerism. Um, yeah. Well, it's like on you know like uh, film like film soundtracks. They'll say you know music from and inspired by. Right. Like Blade Runner is kind of like from and inspired by. Do androids dream of electric yeah. sheep? Like the basic premise really of like of like replicants and stuff. But like, you know, like um, like. Like a, a a huge part of the book is like him trying to get, trying to collect all these bounties so he can finally buy a real live sheep and you know won't be relegated to just having a cheap electric one, and like so like the m- character motivations are like so different, right. and yeah and I mean but I mean yeah, that, yeah. that's I think that's what makes it less accessible to people who are going into it you know from blade runner like thinking yeah yeah i mean i would like i don't know like i was thinking of like having like just read um um murakami's hard-boiled wonderland and the end of the world like it's very like you know surreal so like that's Mm -hmm. that's what i was thinking of as in terms of like accessibility like um i need to read that yeah, it's uh, it I it, it read was Murakami in a long time. It was it was really good. Like um, like I've read a little bit of Kafka, and like I wasn't really enthusiastic about it. Like I would say, like um, Kobo Abe and uh, Murakami have I think better surreal uh, novels or stories. Oh, I thought you were talking about Murakami's novel Kafka on the Shore. Mm-mm. No, like actual Franz Kafka. Which I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so cool. I watched uh, Father, which got uh, some big Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. I think it got a surprising amount of nominations, even though I think people um, figured based on previous award shows that it would get some love. Um, I know that when I saw that it got like a best editing nomination, I was like, "What the fuck is this movie?" Because it just it just looked like a sad like just drama. 
like like Anthony Hopkins just has dementia and he's old and he's kind of losing his mind. Mm. And I was like, how is how does that turn into like a best editing situation? Uh, and to its credit, the father does some uh, pretty clever things with uh, with its setup. You know, it's mostly about Anthony Hopkins kind of in his in his flat. He's British. Um, you know, being taken care of by his daughter Olivia Coleman. Uh, and occasionally her boyfriend, Rufus Sewell. Sewell? Ooh, I love Rufus Sewell. Mm. <laughs> um, and, you know, again, he's just like, he is forgetting things. He's forgetting um, which of his family members are alive and, and dead. What he uh, used to do to uh, for a living, you know, his occupation who uh you know he's he's having an issue where he's like firing or or getting mad at and kind of forcing caretakers to quit which is driving Olivia Coleman crazy so there's talk of like do we need to to get Anthony Hopkins into a home i think the the answer to the obvious answer to anyone watching the movie is like yes yes get it get this man into a home um but you know it's it's more challenging than that for a family member of course mm. um he gets a, a new caretaker, Imogen Poots, at one point, and like, I, I don't understand when Imogen Poots' career transitioned from like, <laughs> like, like really attractive ingenue, like getting those roles to uh to kind of like frumpy ingenue. It's <laughs> like I, I've seen a couple movies that like work hard to make Imogen Poots look normal, and uh, she doesn't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a. Uh, you know, this is this movie is sad, and this movie is it's hard to watch a guy like losing his mind this way, and um, the way that they visually show him losing his mind again is is pretty clever. And I don't really want to give that part of it away because this movie, even though I didn't give it like a great score, this movie is is definitely worth worth watching. And it's uh you know for best picture winner, it's like ninety five minutes, which uh which is always a good. A good sign. Um, is Hopkins up for best yeah, actor? He is, and some people are are they're saying, and, and Vegas kind of has him as the. Uh, some people are saying he might upset Chadwick Boseman. Vegas has him as like the second most likely to win. Not Chadwick. Um, oh, is it Chadwick Boseman? Is he nominated? Ma Rainey's yeah, Black Chadwick Bottom. Chadwick Boseman for, oh, that's for Ma Rainey. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's right. Yep. He, he he's been like the heavy favorite. I now, forgot that. He, um, <clears throat> That uh, they fucked over everybody in um, <laughs> Judas and the Black Messiah. I yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, so who knows? I there. Yeah, there are some people who are like this is uh, Anthony Hopkins' best performance in forever, and he's he's a treasure. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> I know. Right now, this is the current Vegas favorite to win. Best adapted screenplay over Nomadland. Um, who knows? You know, I I've been like filling out brackets, uh, not brackets, uh, ballots, and I'm running like a ballot contest at my school. So I've been looking at at Vegas odds and stuff. But yeah, um, you're running. You're running the it. the pool. Yeah. Are you in it? Yes. Uh. <laughs> I, I did not collect money. Just like a. Oh. It's basically just like a see if you can beat the the film school guy who watches too many movies and has a, a disease. Oh, people mm. know that uh, about you over there. Yeah, I oh, see. Nobody knows <laughs> anything about me at my job. 
Well, just I, I guess like every time movies come up, someone's like, "Have you seen so and so?" And invariably, I have, and I can talk about it. And they're like, and at some point, people are just like, "Have you seen just every movie?" And I'm like, "No, but I'm trying." Have you? Uh, do you you have conversations with people at work still? Yeah. What do you? Well, I mean, like I used to last year when we could have lunch together and stuff, but like we oh. never hang out anymore. Oh well, I mean. I still talk to people in the hall. I still, like, I've got a PLC of three other people that I work pretty closely with. Oh, I see. I've got a, and I have a co-teacher in one of my class periods every Ew. day. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I don't like having a co-teacher, but at least I like my co-teacher. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I don't have any anything like that at all. I have nobody I work with at all, so. <laughs> I've had, yeah. It's a lonely my, experience. <laughs> my co-teacher in Baton Rouge was a nightmare, and she made my job much harder every single day. Mm. Well, I'm glad you're in a better situation. All right, Kevin. Kevin. Um, let's see. <laughs> so, from watching a lot of split screen on Criterion Channel, I happened upon one one of the episodes where, like, uh, Richard Linklater and Eric Bogosian were like being talked to about their new film Suburbia, and they were like at like the premiere for it. So I was like, "Oh, I need to watch Suburbia because I like Linklater and I like Bogosian." And so I watched it, and like, I think the the movie like it kind of had like a the ending is kind of a bummer, and I think it's I think it's overall a little long. But, like, one of the things that I was really thinking about while I was watching the movie, it was, like, like I was born in 86, so I remember the 90s, but I certainly don't remember the, like, sort of, I don't know, angsty, um, just malaise that seems to be in so many of these kinds of 90s movies. And so, like, I thought it was, you know, it was interesting to know that I, like, lived through this same time period, but, like, people that were, like, only not significantly older than me were having, like, very, you know, different experiences. I mean, granted, I think most... it's a, uh, I mean, it's, it doesn't feel like, it feels like it's a, like, if you were uh, maybe, like, an old teenager or an adult in the 90s, like an early mm. adult, like a 20-year-old. Yeah, like yeah. if you were twenty years old when Cobain shot himself, yeah, yeah, it's like then you you know you're into a seat, you're into a scene, and then the scene collapses because of tragedy or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like or uh, or if you're maybe you know a teenager when uh, or not a teenager, but like a like a nineteen or twenty year old when Columbine happens or something like that. You know, mm. it's like these kinds of like huge moments. Maybe because I agree with you. Like I'm, I didn't have that experience when I was. You know, when I was alive in the '90s, but then I and I think about it, I'm like, well, I was, you know, I was like 13 and 14 in like <laughs> the late '90s, so I wasn't, yeah, yeah. you know, probably aware of anything that was going on around me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I I know like I didn't <clears throat> I didn't know about Cobain until like much much later, but mm-hmm. I do I you know vividly remember Columbine happening because I was in the sixth grade and like. All of a sudden, it seemed like the world was just upside down. Sure. Um, yeah, 
<clears throat> excuse me but uh but yeah it's uh, it's interesting like especially with like link later because like i feel like his stuff is like nostalgic but i feel like link later doesn't get so heavily into you know it's not like american graffiti where like oh things were so much better back then it was like you know <laughs> like it it has more i think his stuff like you know slacker like dazed and confused or things like that like have more interesting takes on nostalgic feelings than some than some other some other things cuz like especially now with like you know people who like people are in these like 80s nostalgia trips and like they weren't even born in the 80s and it's like, you know, you can only rehash this stuff so many times before it's, you know, just dead. And, you know, case case in point, um, the Transformers movie Bumblebee was like, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, not not every... I see that one. I, I watched it with, well, <laughs> I started watching it with watching it with the boys and they fell asleep and I just kept watching it cuz you know I think Haley Steinfeld is a really good actress but um and I like John Cena. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You have to log it, right? I did. You yeah. got to finish watching it so you can log it. <laughs> no, I did finish watching it. It's, it's absolutely I know cool. that's what I mean. Yeah. 2.75. <laughs> uh, I think anyway. Linklater as far as nostalgia goes, Linklater like he's not interested in in uh he doesn't seem to be interested in in like you know nostalgia porn so much as just putting you in like a time period and letting mm. you like sit there and like experience what like yeah. the mundaneness of of the time you know or just yeah, like the, yeah, little, yeah. the little moments that happened you know right yeah so yeah and it was funny with suburbia like um like in the in split screen he talks about how it's kind of like the uh the rocker dude who like goes away and becomes famous and like comes back. Like he kind of like looks like link later with, with, uh, with the hair and even like the facial features. Um, so it was interesting to see that, um, Giovanni Ribisi is, he's an underrated gem. Like that guy is a great actor and I don't think he gets enough credit where, where it's due. Um, Steve's He's good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, th- this is my most pressing question. Keep going. No, go ahead. I want to. I want to know the pressing question. No, no. no. Like you, you were about to address my most pressing question. But Steve, Steve Zahn. Zahn? <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, Steve Zahn is. Zahn club over here. Steve Zahn is great. I mean, yeah. He's. I mean, he's entertaining. I. I. I don't know that I've seen any. I don't know that I've seen him in any sort of like dramatic turn. So I don't know if I could really like. You know, rescue Don. I haven't seen that since like 2007, oh. eight. Well, gotta get back on it, bud. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, he's great in that. Mm. But um, Steve Zahn doesn't have facial hair in this movie, which sometimes is a concern. <laughs> Who? Um, oh, he doesn't but, have facial hair. Right, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I love him in Saving Silverman, but Saving Silverman is a you know that's it's that's a whole other animal. Has he not done anything that's not that's uh, dramatic except for Rescue Don? I mean, I feel like he's I'm done something. Treme was a dramatic. Yeah, I was going to mention role. that also, but I don't. 
Yeah, wasn't there something like? Oh, he's in he's in uh, Planet of the Apes, the uh, the Planet of the Apes movie. Oh, right, he's one of the apes. He's also in Dallas Buyers Club, and he's I for I don't. He's in like Blaze, like uh, the Ethan Hawke movie. Mm. Oh, he's in two episodes. Uh, Speaking of Ethan Hawke, he's in two episodes of the Good Lord Bird, also. Mm. So that's probably a uh, somewhat. Wasn't he in like yeah. some like divorce drama not that long ago? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where his kid is trans. Right, uh, yeah, yeah. Cowboys. Cowboys. Right, 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 right. Yeah, right. I wanted to see that. That looked all right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing yeah, the trailer for that, but I don't know if it's been released or not. I think he's diversifying a little bit, mm. maybe. Trying to trying to get more serious, maybe, a little bit. I mean, he's definitely... I mean, he's in a stage in his career... Oh, and look, I'm looking at the picture of Cowboys. That's a great beard. This is probably a really good movie. Mm. Um, <laughs> he's, on, he's in Lean on Pete also, which is a, a drama, right? So mm. Yeah, and he's got... Most of the things we're talking about, he's got... You know, pretty small or smaller roles, mm-hmm. like supporting right, roles. Right, right. Um, he's you know he's a he's a B B list actor in in his fifties. It's a character um, actor. Mm. Yeah, sure. You know he's he's not taking giant things, and uh, you know those uh, those young man comedies just don't uh, show up for him anymore. But it looks <laughs> like the last one was the Ridiculous Six with Adam the Adam Sandler. Oh my goodness! Situation. Great, I didn't know he was in that. Great Netflix original. Mm. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I watched uh, Tanner '88, uh, which is a mini series from 1988, directed by Robert Altman. And uh, I had this on DVD from the Criterion Collection for probably. I'm gonna 15? say I'm gonna say 15 years now. Ooh, it's it. been sitting on my <laughs> shelf. <laughs> yeah, I remember buying this like a long fucking time. Like probably, actually, I mean, honestly, it was probably like 2005. It was probably like, you know, right after high school, and I was going to Barnes and Noble like every payday and just buying Criterion's that mm. I would never watch. And uh, I bought this because it was Altman, and I was vaguely familiar that, uh, like, I knew he was supposed to be a good director. <laughs> and now uh, I know, now I know with evidence that he's a good director. And so I watched uh, Tanner '88, and uh, you know what? How are how how is there's there's not enough discussion about Tanner '88. Like, this is a great great series. It's a lot of fun. It's very funny at parts. It's got a great cast. It's got uh, Pamela Reed in it who I don't like I feel like I don't see her in anything but she's so fucking good in this and uh I remember her from Kindergarten Cop when I was a kid she plays uh Schwarzenegger's partner in Kindergarten mm. Cop and then she's lately or uh not lately I guess but a few years ago she played uh Leslie Nope's mother on Parks and Rec oh. but Pamela Reed is just great and she's really good mm. as this sort of uh fast talking campaign manager for the titular Tanner, played by Michael Michael Murphy, I think his name is. Anyway, and uh, Kevin J. O'Connor is in this, and he's like, he still has like baby fat, like he's so fucking young, it's crazy. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know, I just really, really, really enjoyed it, and it's not that long. I mean, it's 353 minutes, I guess, but it's 11 episodes, and the first episode's an hour, but the rest of them are all half an hour. And uh, I think it gets, like, weirdly serious at some points, but I don't mind that. I think, obviously, Altman has, like, a political bent, like, a really obvious political bent, and he's got a message he's trying to get across, and that's fine. 
And uh, it just made me really, really want to watch Tanner on Tanner, which I remember coming out in 04 and uh, not having any idea what it was. And now I want to watch it, and it's not available anywhere. <laughs> Mm. So it's like like I'm looking for torrents of it. I looked for I looked on iTunes for it. Like it's just no, it's literally nowhere. So I have to buy. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna end up having to buy a fucking DVD of this thing for seven dollars and watch it. You know, <laughs> Look, just do can, it. Yeah. We can probably we can find you a copy. Oh, we can, can you? Can you? You could probably. You, you're on all these weird fucking mirror sites. I don't know what's going on with you. <laughs> Not mirror. <laughs> private. Private, right? I don't. Yeah, I just I would like to see it. Uh, especially because I don't know why, but I was like midway through Tanner 88 and I was thinking, I'm, I need to watch Tanner on Tanner after this, but I was like, ah, oh, but I don't think it's directed by Altman. I think it's like some kind of offshoot thing, but it is directed by Altman. And it's like one of the last things he did really, it was directed like two years before he died. So yeah, I'll, um, I'll watch this too. I remember starting this and not finishing it and you, I don't remember You have why. it logged, bud. Tanner on Tanner? Yeah. No, I don't. You have it marked as watched. No, not Tanner on Tanner. Oh, I'm sorry. Tanner 88 is what I'm talking about. Sorry. Oh yeah, I, sorry. I remember finishing that. Oh okay, sorry. You yeah. didn't you didn't finish Tanner on Tanner? No, and and it must have just been like I started it and something came up and I just never went back. But I don't I don't know why. It's only four episodes happened. too. It's like really short. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm psyched you know to me. check it I out. I don't I don't like TV unless fucking, it's made by Marvel. It's you know? Altman, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, did Alt did Altman direct a Marvel movie? Because I don't no, think he did. He didn't. He, hey, did you did you speaking of uh, of uh, huge directors directing TV? Did you hear about um, Paul Schrader did an interview with Richard Brody for the New York Times, and he says and he let slip that he's working on a a show like a mini series for mm. uh, for Netflix with Scorsese about the early years of Christianity. Right. Yeah. I saw something yeah. about that. Um. How real is this? Do you do we think? I don't know. I mean, he said it's like he he like Brody was asking him specific questions. Like he said, is it going to be dramatized like Last Temptation of Christ? And Schrader said yes. I don't. know. I mean, so, and Scorsese well, is it, obviously in with Netflix. I mean, his next well, I think right. his next movie is going to be with Apple. But he was you know he made The Irishman with Netflix. And, mm. so, so I guess and part of what I mean by how real is this is like how real is Scorsese's involvement? Is he? Is he just kind of like producer to help shepherd this right. for Schrader? Is he actually going to direct? Oh God, I hope he directs. Probably. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it feels when he, when I first read the the headline, I was like, oh, you know, that's such going to be just some bullshit like docu series that's executive produced by both of them or something. Mm. But he made it sound like he was like he was involved creatively with it. I don't know. We'll see. I'm excited. Well, Cautiously is, that, optimistic. That might be cool. Yeah. You know. Does the does the world need more more Jesus content? I think we got, got, a, got a lot of that. If it's from Scorsese and Trader, I'll take it mm-hmm. any day of the week and twice on Sunday. <laughs> Do you think Willem Dafoe is going to play sixty five year old Jesus? Oof, I can only hope and pray. <laughs> I would be so in. I would be one hundred percent in. Oh man, we need yeah. The world needs old Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I know? mean, he played old Jesus in in Last Temptation. Yeah. I know, now he can I know he, he can do it without the makeup Jesus. now. Yeah. <laughs> no, he looks pretty much the same, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the movie. You know, he looked really young in, in Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League. Yeah. He did not look young <laughs> in his recent Abel Ferreira movies. Yeah, that's for, well, Abel Ferreira doesn't have the uh, the $100 million budget to CG out all the wrinkles, you know. Right, <laughs> right. Anyway. JR? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, right. I remember I wanted to talk uh, about uh, Tenet. 
Oh, you know why? I I sent you an emergency text uh, earlier uh, this week or last week. Uh, my Blu-ray player broke, and my Blu-ray player broke when I put in a Blu-ray copy of Tenet. It knew, uh, <sighs> and I don't, I don't know if it knew. I think it. But knew. I was like, this has been this has been on my Netflix, uh, you know, mail service queue for forever. And finally got it. Just because, like... Why? I don't understand. Did you, I, didn't you watch watched, this already? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it. I watched it, and I didn't like it at all. And it's I watched it <laughs> on my computer, and I was like, do I need to give this, you know, like, a chance on a real TV uh, uh, that at least, you know, like, my yeah. speaker setup's not good here, but, like, should I just try it? And also, should I try it with the subtitles, which people were legitimately recommending? Uh, and... So I did, and I did it, look, you know, before before I started it up, I was like, I'm giving it a chance, but let's be honest, guys, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go down. It's going to go from a two-star to a one-and-a-half-star. That's what's going to happen. Um, and then the Blu-ray player broke, and then, you know, finally I found time to go to a Goodwill, and they had um, what honestly is a, a nicer Blu-ray player than the one I had Uh Wow! Not that it's like good. That it's good, but my Blu-ray player was was you, old. You and found shitty. a Blu-ray player at a Goodwill. Yeah, it's out of control, dude. I've mm. never seen a Blu-ray you... player at a Goodwill. How? M- I, I guess I haven't either. But I don't. I'm, I guess I'm not frequenting the Goodwill. I figured people aren't watching their uh, their physical physical media anymore. Mm. I figured there'd be some shit mm, there. That's true, but it's just I feel like every time you go to Google, you, you might see a DVD player from 2004, but you don't see you don't see Yeah, like a DVD good, VCR like a combo. <laughs> okay. You know, You've actually never been to a city Goodwill. That's true. <laughs> and you know, speaking of that, not not to derail, but like uh there was also another huge news item that I, I forgot to mention, which was that uh Warner Brothers have said they're not producing Blu-rays anymore or physical media at all anymore. Well, that's lame. But that just but but you read the article and what it really means is that they're not they're shutting down their production of it. Mm. But it doesn't mean you can't get Blu-rays of Warner Brothers stuff. They're just going to license it out to other distributors. Yeah, mm. but okay. they're not going to make. But there's no Warner Archives anymore, which is like a huge thing that that's fucking like they would disgusting. Have, they would have sales constantly, and it was really nice. Yeah. And they're not going to have any of that anymore. So mm. it sucks. That does suck. That also. Like that'll make it more complicated for, it'll make it more expensive for Netflix to get their titles, mm-hmm. like to to get to mail, because like they like they'll get crit- like some Criterion movies mm. on the Netflix service, and Netflix is already like they already don't give a shit about this service, so this is just one more thing that's going to make it a little bit worse. It's going to be discontinued um, before you know it. Mm. Oh, I've, I've been thinking that for the past five years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm amazed that I'm amazed that I can still pay Netflix to do this. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, anyway, so got tenant in my new Blu-ray player, um, and, uh, and I was wrong. It, it went up. It, it went up, and it's still not good. <laughs> Right, like, like Tenant is not good. Uh, this is not some misunderstood masterpiece. However, um, just like knowing generally what is going to happen in this plot, I think helped me not focus on just like how dumb <laughs> what's happening is. Because that was like a big problem for me the first time watching Tenant. I was like, like sure, this is like sort of confusing, but really, it's also just stupid. Mm. Like, wh- wh- why is this happening? Um, 
And then it gets to the end, and after the whole the whole damn time, they've been like, it's not time travel. It's not time travel. Mm. And it's like, all right, well, at the end, like, the protagonist is somehow going backwards in time. And, like, how is this? How is it not time travel? Go fuck yourself. Um, it's all dumb. But knowing that, I was just kind of able to, like, enjoy the the ridiculous action sequences. And I'm still not, I'm not going to say like, like the backwards filming stuff is just like so fucking cool. Uh, some of it, it, it looks cool and some of it looks fine. And, um, I still think the sound design is just a bizarre choice that makes no sense. Um, and I liked the music better this time. It's uh yeah I don't I have no I watched a cam version of this from China and I have no desire to ever look at this again like it's just I don't care I don't I'm it's like I want Nolan to make another serious film you know I enjoyed Dunkirk so much and I don't understand how you take a it's like he took a break from genre cinema and made something great, and then he's just back in the same fucking pocket mm. that he I was in before. So, like, he's doing something, like, with this and especially Inception, and I, I remember some of this in Interstellar too, but I don't remember that movie as well. Um, his, like, writing style now, mm-hmm. like, outside of Dunkirk, is, like, I'm gonna do things to, like, try to convince you that the plot doesn't matter, and it's, like, about the action and the feel. But I'm going to make sure that every bit of dialogue is only exposition. Like, it's only function is exposition, but it's, like, exposition of a confounding nature where, again, part of the exposition is trying to convince you that the exposition doesn't matter. It's fucking bizarre. Where, where like, Clemens Poesy is like, don't think about it too much. Just feel it. Well, if you don't want me to think about it, why'd you just spend ten minutes saying things to get me to think about it? Yeah. Like, it's, uh, it is bizarre writing that like makes the movie feel at odds with itself Mm. um and this is just like a a thing that i i just i don't know if christopher nolan realizes he's doing it uh someone needs to tell him like pick a lane you know (laughs) like we we can we can have like the sci-fi stuff that doesn't make sense and it can have like a surreal vibe and you can decide like we're not going to explain this and that might work or we can over-explain everything to the point where the viewer feels suffocated with explanation and jargon. Just like decide which one you want because you can't have both. Yeah, I'm with you. That's it. Mm. That's it on. I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to continue doing things like this. Yeah, it's horrifying. Although I think the well, I don't mean I don't know what I mean. The whole theater thing, like it seems like he if theaters went the way of the dinosaur it feels like he might retire or something, you know, or like start doing television or something. You know what I mean? Like he's so obsessed with his movie being in in the theater. I don't, I don't think he would work in a visual medium anymore. That'd be fantastic. For like, I think he actually, (laughs) it's not true. I think he would retire for like 10 years. Yeah. Uh, He would, he would buy the proper blades for like a seppuku ritual. Just in case he's like, (laughs) just in case he's like, I can't live without it. Um, but he wouldn't go through with it. He would retire for 10 years and then he would come back and he'd probably make a TV show for, yeah. mm. for Disney plus. I think he and Jonathan <laughs> Nolan would go off and, uh, you know, produ- executive produce some Marvel show or something, you mm. know, it's just to get a check rolling in constantly. Yeah. 
Anyways, Kevin? Uh, let's see. So I'll do... Um, I'm almost almost at the end of my list, so these will be the last two that I'll talk about. Um, so because uh, Satoshi Kon's movies are all, like, short, like, the longest one is, like, an hour and 33 minutes, I was like, yeah, I can knock out a couple. So I watched uh, Paprika and Tokyo Godfathers, and... Like, <laughs> my brother and I were talking about, uh, funnily enough, we were talking about Nolan just last night, because, like, he seems like the pre- kind of pretentious douchebag to say, like, oh, I haven't seen Paprika, it doesn't mean anything to me, but, like, even though, like, there's, you you guys have probably seen, like, there's, you know, there's a scene in the hallway of both films where, like, things, like, start to go wonky, um, and so... Paprika is about dreams and how, like, this guy has invented this thing that can, like, put people into other people's dreams, but then it starts to project dreams on t- into other people's lives, and it's really interesting, and it's animated very well, and, again, short, which is always a plus. Um, so... 4.25 for Paprika and Tokyo Godfathers I loved it's about these three homeless people uh, this this older dude this younger girl and this uh, trans person and they they're like squabbling over you know bullshit on Christmas Eve and then they find this baby that's been abandoned and they're like you know should we should we turn it in? No, let's keep it. I've always wanted to be a mother. Um, and then, like, they set out on this adventure to try to get the baby back to its actual family. And the craziest things ensue. Like, uh, there's, um, there's mob wars, and there's uh, random strange accidents, and... They're going all around Tokyo to try to f- match up this picture that they found with the baby and, like, where they think the, the house is. And, like, the, the characterization of of pretty much everybody in the movie and just the outrageous things that happen. And, like, there's this, there's this, uh, there's this car chase towards the end, which is, like, very thrilling because you want it because you you know at this point the baby is in danger but it's also hilarious because of the way the the characters are easy five out of five i loved it so much god damn yeah i saw this was on a prime i i wanted to watch it as well but i Mm. just didn't get around to it so many other things but uh it's definitely on my on my watch list nice. to check it out, and I download I downloaded Paprika, so I'm going to watch that as well. Cool. I mean, I remember. So I need I need to rewatch all these, and you know, since my my like movie year group is doing 2007 soon, I'll probably do uh, Paprika soon anyway. Mm. So that was released in the U.S. in 2007. Um, but I remember Millennium Actress being my favorite of his. Yeah, Millennium Actress is great as well. It's funny, he's only Definitely got, like, uh, like 
I mean, there's... He did, like, a feature length of uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, so I don't know if you necessarily want to count that. Um, but, like, his his original output of uh, features, you know, there's only, like, four. four. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. like, like, his body of work is just... It's incredibly small, but it's incredibly great, too. Yeah. I guess we'll we'll talk I mean, we'll talk more about that when we get to Perfect Blue, but it's one of those what if careers for sure. Because he, I mean, I think he was in he was like forty three or something when he died. Forty six. Okay, Sorry, I, just, I have his bio pulled okay. up. Okay, okay. But yeah, and like also, um, I highly highly recommend watching uh, Memories. That he was involved with, as as well as uh, Katsuhiro Otomo. It's as far as I know, it's still on Prime. So, yeah, Jonathan told me that he wrote one of the things in Memories. Mm. So, because um, I texted him, I asked him to be on this episode, and he he said, uh, mm. he said, I think he said he was working or something. I don't know. He had some excuse, but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I t- I texted him after I watched Perfect Blue and. Was talking to him about what I thought about it, and he was telling me that uh, Satoshi Kon wrote one of the segments and memories. So I should check that out. And I said, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So the last thing I have outside of, I mean, I don't know, if, like, Jr. Do you want to talk about the Angels' melancholia? I think we should. Uh, we should give it a, a mention and and go through, not go through, yeah. just uh, mm. say that you know, fuck this and. Okay. Well. Whatever. Uh, let me just real quick. I'll go. I just rewatched Secret Honor last night, which is another Altman uh, project, and I hadn't seen Secret Honor since I was probably a teenager. I watched it twice when I was a, a teenager. I remember I watched it once by myself, and I think I watched it with Jonathan again because I was wanted to show him. And so I hadn't seen it in a really long time, but um, it's just this one man uh, stage play that's filmed. Uh, in a room, it's like one guy in a room. It's Philip Baker Hall, who is just a master. Like the guy is so fucking good. And this is definitely like his most sort of uh, demonstrative performance I've ever seen him give. Like in in any way. Like he's very animated, very loud. <laughs> uh, and you know, it's it's about Richard Nixon recording his probable defense to uh into a tape recorder for the whole Watergate thing and but of course he can't keep his thoughts together so he keeps veering off into other subjects and other things and uh, ranting and raving and it's just amazing it's really great to watch Hall in this performance and it's a lot of fun to look at and it's uh it's like 90 minutes long it's very easy to look very easy to watch and super underrated as far as um criterions go like i never hear anybody talking about secret honor you know and it's and and tanner 88 too i never hear anybody talking about these these two you know you hear a lot about mccabe and mrs miller and uh nashville and shortcuts but you never hear anything about these these great 80s films that he did and secret honor secret honor is really cool uh it was made in a period where altman was was not making exclusively good movies anymore. Mm. <laughs> uh, but but also, I, th- I think Secret Honor doesn't fit like this, like, uh, this mythos, this, like, legend of 
Robert Altman. Like, he's known for the ensemble. He's known for the overlapping dialogue. Mm -hmm. And this is so against type right? for him. But also just really fucking good. I don't know. It's a... And who knows? Maybe it was just like a movie that was barely released and no one saw until Criterion re-released it uh, as a DVD. But I don't know much about its history. I agree. Well, he shot it, apparently. I was reading about it last night. He shot it when he was was teaching at a university in Michigan. And he shot it uh, at the university using a student crew, <laughs> which wow. I, it's, I, that just like adds to its badassness. And I feel like the idea that it like the, the fact that it doesn't have a lot of those Altman traits, like the uh, the sound design and the ensemble and so forth, just like further proves how good Altman is. Like he's able to work yeah. without all those things. Those aren't crutches for him, you know, those stylistic choices. And He's able to make just as entertaining and just as uh, enveloping of a film without all those things, and it's incredible. I mean, the guy's a master. So, yeah, Secret Honor. Agreed. Fucking watch it. This, it's was, great. Uh, this was one of the first Criterion movies I ever watched. Mm. I think it uh, might have been one, one I, I think I actually um, might have been one of the few movies when I had Netflix DVD service in, like, 04, I... Uh, I have one of the ones that came from that. I remember watching this and um, Viva Savi, the uh, Godard film, and maybe Badlands also. But Badlands wasn't a criterion back then, so I don't know. But um, I, I remember, yeah, this might have been one of my first sort of criterion discs as well. But I, I watched this. I remember the reason that I got turned on to this was uh, I was super into Paul Thomas Anderson, and he would always say that this was his favorite movie of all time. So I was like, I got to see his favorite movie of all time, you know? <laughs> and then I watch it, and I'm like, I don't under Like, it's weird, because I don't see why this is his favorite movie. Like, this is the thing that he borrows from the least from Altman, you know? Like, right. he seems to borrow from his <laughs> other films a lot more in his early part of his career anyway. But he obviously loves Philip Baker Hall, so... Yeah, it's great. All right. Um, do you have anything else to talk well, about me, before Angels? Let me... Uh, yeah, let me just mention real sure. quick that uh, you know Hulu is hosting three of the um, best international film Oscar nominees. Uh, another round, which I've talked about on here, and I really like uh, Collective, which was also nominated for documentary, um, and Covadas Ida. Uh, all of these movies are good. Um, Collective is just a really interesting documentary and i say interesting because like what the documentary does and like what like from starting point for this documentary crew to like where it ends up is like a pretty crazy journey and they they're basically like trying to root out corruption just like in a hospital system that leads to something much bigger um but also it's like frustrating like the movie uh just feels like like it could have been shorter and it sometimes by where they got to the, at the end it feels like well you could have cut out basically like 40 minutes of your starting point um so it's like a movie where the the content that they get to is more powerful than the filmmaking itself because the filmmaking might just not be very good um and that's it okay uh let's uh let's talk angels melancholia which was the punishment film trying to get away from it being a punishment uh so uh yeah this was the letterbox roulette film that we had to watch uh last week well kevin and i were 
supposed to watch it. Kevin skimmed it, which I don't blame him for at all. And uh, I, you know, I am a stickler, so I had to watch it. And it's a three-hour um, transgressive experimental mini-DV shot German film. Uh, scat porn, torture porn. And I'm not saying, you know, a lot of times you hear things like that. Uh, you hear those terms thrown around sort of loosely, like, um, you know, this is torture porn because it has a violent scene in it or something. Or it's mm. like, but this like has like animal mutilation, like actual like animals getting hurt and uh, yeah. uh, like gross stuff like penises ejaculating and shit getting pushed into vaginas. It's just this is the, the probably the most unpleasant movie I've ever looked at. And um, not only because of its objectionable content, but also because it's like, you know, it's just horribly filmed. It's horribly acted. It's boring as sin in some parts. And uh, it's abrasive in every way. And it makes me upset that people, like, you look at the reviews for this thing, and there are, like, five-star reviews for this from these, you know, what I can only assume are, like, neo-Nazi skinhead types who mm. <laughs> are sadists, you know, who enjoy this sort of thing or something. I I, I just don't yeah. understand why you would put yourself through watching this thing uh, unless you were forced to because you lost a game of Letterboxd Roulette on the Film Yak podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like if you, yeah. If this is the kind of movie that if you enjoy, like you need serious help. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and, and like it, to quote it, Jerry it, Seinfeld, like one doctor's not going to help you. You need a <laughs> you team. Need a team. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Yeah, you need a team. Yeah. yeah, it's like I mean, it's it, it's you know there. Are, I feel like this guy uh, Dorian Mora or whatever his name is, who's Marian. I guess. Marion Dora. Dora, yeah, who's apparently like an anonymous, like uh, it's not even his name. I don't know what what the you know, bullshit that they mm. conjured up around the mythos of this horseshit movie. But it feels like you know these guys are obviously like inspired by you know films of the past, like Solo or something. But yeah. it's like at least those are like the Solo is, of course, Solo is in a you know, horribly offensive uh, things things that happen in the film and everything. But it's like it's trying to make a point about fascism and th- and so on and so forth. It's like this movie. I don't know what the point is. Like it's just horrible yeah. to be horrible. It's just like how much can we do? Mm. How much can people take? It's just gross. <laughs> like it feels like something that like Marilyn Manson would be really into. Yeah, or like yeah. Rob Zombie. Like Rob Zombie watches this and he's like, man. Those German guys are fucking hardcore. I wish I could do that here in America. Mm. You know, and then he tries to by having, you know, heads exploding and so forth. I don't know. Yeah. It's just it's 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 not good. It's an irredeemable in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I I noticed neither of us gave it a uh, a star rating. I'm assuming that's because it's zero stars. It's a zero, but I I normally I would write that it's a zero. I didn't want to give it any sort of like I'm I kind of don't even you know I'm like we got to talk about it because it's part of our show. But like I just want to give it any sort of publicity. Like I don't want anybody seeking this thing out or like looking yeah. at it or investigating it at all. It's just a shit pile and it's not worth anybody's time no. on the earth. <laughs> I mean, especially yeah. since and, um, it's, yeah, like two hours and 40 fucking minutes and it's like yeah yeah it's brutal it's absolutely it, brutal it definitely made me feel just like depressed not again mostly just because like depressed that i had watched it right and, uh, yeah 
it I, the movie wants me to feel depressed. I think it it wants to communicate some some horrible message about the uh, the state of humanity, mm-hmm. but um, I don't think Dora communicates anything coherent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's uh, pretty. Yeah, it's just I mean, I... <laughs> and you know, it's you watch you watch one movie about shit. Uh, shame on you. You show me two movies about shit, two episodes in a row, we gotta change the list. There's like <laughs> yeah. a lot of reviews, there's like a lot of reviews praising the cinematography. What? Like how? saying how good it looks. I don't understand no, I, that at that's, all. I don't know, I, I have a, uh, I struggle with this like, you know, DV aesthetic anyway, but uh, mm. you know, like, yeah, I watched a documentary recently, Tarnation, that that is you know a, a decent movie but just like it's so ugly and it just it's hard for me to watch those movies uh which is you know, not fair to tarnation right i'm not giving it the chance that I'm not giving it like the headspace it deserves because i can't get past the aesthetic uh but for this kind of thing it's like there's already like a barrier to my entry uh and then you just clog the entry with with shit and torture and animal mutilation and it's not gonna happen mm, yeah yeah it's really rough I know the animal stuff was like the worst part. Like I can't, I, it's like, I don't want to see stuff like that. You yeah, know, <laughs> I want to put my, put that shit in my mind, you know, gotta watch, watch a, uh, had to watch some, uh, some perfect blue to get it, get it washed out, you know, mm. cleanse yeah. my mind. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, hopefully we're, we've changed lists. We've got this new list that's full of, uh, you know, like JR said, critically acclaimed stuff, but mm. uh, hopefully... I think... I'm you know. pretty sure the only movie that involves shit on that list is Solo. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Solo would be... Uh, yeah, that would be a tough one. You know, I mean, I, mm. I'm perfectly... I own Solo. I'm perfectly willing to rewatch it, but yeah, that's like a... It's a hard one to watch, too, but for different reasons. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to Perfect Blue. All right. Kevin's pick, 1997, Satoshi Kon. Uh, Kevin, what is it about this movie? Why did you choose this? Well, uh, you know, as as always, I saw that you guys hadn't uh, logged it on Letterboxd, so I was like, oh, that's that's something we can watch. And I had been meaning to rewatch it for a while because uh, having gotten having watched uh, Memories and Robot Carnival on Prime, I was like, yeah, I need to... And then Millennium Actress, I was like, I need to watch uh, this guy's movies. And then I saw that, you know, he didn't have very many of them. Um, so, yeah, Perfect Blue seemed like the uh, the reasonable choice. And because it's fairly well-known, obviously I thought it would get some traffic for the podcast. <laughs> It's uh, definitely his most, uh, well, I guess it's his most logged movie on Letterboxd because mm. it's number one on the list. Um, but yeah, let me read a synopsis. A pop singer gives up her career to become an actress, but she slowly goes insane when she starts being stalked by an obsessed fan and what seems to be the ghost of her past. Um, okay, well, what do we think of Perfect Blue? It was a lot. I thought this was an action movie. An action movie? Going in. Yeah. I thought it was an action movie going in. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was wrong. Very wrong. 
I don't know why I thought that. I feel like actually one of the things um, that I enjoyed about it was the fact that it was like so unlike an anime. Like it was not Mm. like normally animes are centered around either science fiction or action or uh, fantasy or something like this. And this is like, it's just like a dramatic thriller. Like it's just like a normal movie. It just happens to be animated, Mm. which I liked a lot. I thought that was really interesting. And um, it's similar in that way to paranoia agent, which I'm halfway through and uh, paranoia. I mean, they both take place in just like modern, you know, modern Tokyo or whatever, whatever it is, modern Japan. And uh, I, I really dig the sort of, aesthetic of I don't know why I couldn't explain why but I really like like her apartment like all the little details of her apartment mm. and the drawings you know like the like the books on the shelf and like I don't know just the way her apartment is is designed I don't know something about that really makes me uh enjoy it like the sort of mundane you know style of her life I don't know the, the even like the trains and shit like the cityscapes just all the drawings like the sort of background drawings are really really incredible and i'm very impressed by it yeah like um yeah because i think you know it's easy to kind of get lost in the muddled world of anime but then like you start seeing things like this and you know it's like oh well there's actually much more artistic merit to it than you would think Mm. Especially, you know, I'm not trying to hate on, you know, anime heads or whatever, but some of them get, like, really into it to, like, a, to the degree where it's like, okay, I need you, I need you to calm down right now. Um, but, yeah, this this is, yeah, it's extremely well made. And I, I, it was a lot more intense than I remembered it being. Um, but I don't, I don't think that takes away from it at all. I agree. JR? Yeah, I, um, I realized about 35 minutes in to the movie, maybe 40 minutes. I can't remember, but, um, I wasn't at that point quite sure what we were doing, like what Cohen was trying to do. Um, and that feeling went away. Uh, like, what, what I was confused by, which now I feel stupid about <laughs> being confused by it, and that's why I wanted to watch it again. Mm. Like, he was so meticulously, like, piling on conflicts and also, like, piling on traumas on top of, uh, just on Demima. Um, you know, making her, you know, almost break. Uh, so, like, when, when the end happens, when, when the shit gets real as we say, um, you know, it, it feels insane and she feels insane. And, and that worked extremely well. I absolutely loved the like beginning of this movie. Like the, just like the intro scene, like with her concert and people talking about her concert, the way it is like hard cutting from like inside this venue to outside with people talking and we don't really have a context for what they're talking about yet. Um, and then like, as Mima's is performing, we're also like cutting to, to her like traveling home. Um, so like we have like her journey home before she's announced her retirement. It's, um, 
we're getting like these different perspectives that we don't have any context for yet. Uh, we're like thrown into this, this, the world of this anime, which is a pretty realistic seeming world so far with like no life vest and uh, all these like just editing transition that are like meant to disorient you, even though there's like nothing really confusing happening. I just, uh, I loved it. It like created it so perfectly like set the, the aesthetic for the movie. And I was just really into it. Mm. And then she received a fax at home, and I was happy about that. <laughs> I thought uh, that's that actually brings me to, to something I, I wanted to ask about, which is, um, did you guys watch subs or dubs here? Subs. subs. Subs was what they had on on the hoopla. Okay, I watched a dub version because I don't. I tend to avoid subtitled anime. <clears throat> because I feel like anime is uh, normally it's about spectacle, and you know I don't really give a shit about <laughs> the translation of the, the dialogue. But um, in this situation, so in the dub, like when she gets the facts on the dub, her it's like a shot from her of like from behind. You don't see her mouth moving, and she says a fax. Who's it from? Does she say that in the subtitle? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because that's like, yes. I remember that happened so early, and I was really disappointed with it. I was like, oh, that's really gross. It's like this is like gross <laughs> exposition, you know? Like we don't. Well, need, the, like, uh, obviously she's getting a fax. Like, what are we retarded? Like, <laughs> well, that, I feel like that line would have made sense if this was made in like 2007, right? Like a fax. I forgot I had a fax. <laughs> right, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, and that's uh, that's another like the whole you know she has to have like computers explained to her and like the internet yeah, explained yeah, yeah, to her. Yeah. But I like that because that makes sense because it's 1997 and it's sort of a relatively new thing at the yeah. time. But and the detail they get on that Macintosh was just yeah wow. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love the Mac, the way it looks, and it's so and I she, everything's happening so quickly on it. I almost I, I meant to look up if they had broadband internet in 1997 in Japan because it's like. It's moving so quick. Yeah. You know? When yeah. she clicks on shit, it just comes right up. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, speaking of the internet, I feel like the uh, the movie uh, definitely... I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say because I don't know what fan culture was like on the internet in 1997. Mm. But I feel like this predicts the sort of, you know, dangerous uh, predatory behavior, you know. For of, sure, like fans of you know stalkerish people, mm. and how they use the internet to accomplish their goals of you know making the lives of these people miserable. So I thought that was pretty interesting, especially if it's a wasn't a common thing at the time, which I imagine it wasn't. But right, I don't know. I don't know. I really liked all that. I liked the stalker guy. I like. I thought he was really effectively creepy and weird. Mm. I like at the beginning when he's like holding her in his hand, he's looking in his hand and he's like holding her while she's yeah, yeah. dance like she's dancing around and stuff. Such a weird little thing, but probably something that uh he would actually do. Another thing that, that struck me as weird is when <laughs> the, the letter exploded and like injured the guy. Yeah. <laughs> at the uh studio and then somebody said, Ah, oh, it's just a prank. <laughs> yeah. Like a prank. Like blow the guy's hand off. It's yeah. a fucking prank, you know? Seems a little extreme. Well, like, I, I don't know. It's like one of those things, like watching this movie, like it gets to a certain point where you're like, what, what are, what are, what is the, what is going on in the real world? And what is happening that Mima is seeing that is just in her head? Cause like, yeah, when that, when sure. that letter blows up, there's, you know, dudes like covered in blood and, you know, there's blood all over the studio and like, 
But then, you know, like, oh, that was just a prank. Like, oh, he wasn't badly injured. So, you know, it's... Because, like, she... Her character is, like, so innocent. Like, the way the way she sees things is, like, so, you know, out of proportion sometimes. But obviously the... um, I mean, well, yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think... I think Cone does like a super good job of confusing the audience in in terms of like what's real and what's not and what's in her head and what's not because I mean even when she's when she's fighting the guy toward the end of the film and he's trying to rape her like even after that happens you know you see her in like normal clothing like walking around and it's like everything is fine and then suddenly it cuts back to her in her ripped clothing and it's like oh shit like that actually happened you know yeah yeah, yeah. I, I was I was thoroughly like i don't i don't i genuinely don't know if she actually just hit that guy with a hammer or not like i don't know i don't know what's happening and what's not you know yeah which is good even the, puts you in the headspace of mima mima yeah e- even the the you know i would say like the turning point for her like in her mental state uh the like simulated rape scene that she's acting mm-hmm. In and I've like it's like bind or double bind. I can't remember the name of the the. Yeah, I think it was double bind. Work she's creating. Yeah, the like soap um, opera. Yeah, but the way that that scene is presented, like we know she's an actor, we know she has a part, um, but like it's not presented as something that is being filmed at first. It's just like her, you know, dancing. Right. Like uh, being a dancer at a club, and suddenly she's attacked. And and then we hear cut, and then we, you know, cut to the manager and uh, the other character's name, Rumi, mm. uh, in the other room watching this, and like the the way that this whole scene like handles like the level of, of trauma in the rape, even though it is not a real rape, was like was profound to me. Uh, it, it, this like clearly fucked with her. It messed up like Rumi having to watch it. It was, uh, it, it was, yeah, it was uh, a very well done scene. And again, even though we like should know what's happening, that like Cohen still is presenting it in a way that is like disorienting to us. And I was, I was like, damn, damn, dude. Yeah. This scene, uh, that scene, one of the many sort of, uh, things that Aronofsky seems to have lifted from, from this film in particular. I'm sure there's probably mm. other shit from other Cone films that he lifted as well, but I mean, obviously there's the famous sort of uh, the bathtub sequence where she screams in the bathtub, and uh, you know, I don't know if the, I don't know how true this is, but it was on IMDb, I think, that uh, he bought the rights to Perfect Blue just so he could recreate the shot in uh, Requiem. <laughs> mm. But, uh, you know, so there's that, and then there's also like all of the, the I, I the lighting of the scene where she gets where the the the, the um the rape scene, not where she's actually, but where she's acting. The lighting in that scene looks very familiar to me from uh, the end of Requiem during like the sort of sex show mm. that they have, where Jennifer Connelly is having sex with the other woman, and they're all watching. Just like the light coming up on the dark faces of all the men around watching, just seemed very reminiscent. Mm. And also, Black Swan, obviously, yeah, like yeah. lifting a ton of material from the ending or the end of this film. You yeah, know, the last like third. The uh, like the most popular letterbox reviews are uh, are about Black Swan for Perfect Blue. Right. Uh, Black Swan was found dead in a ditch. Five stars. 
Darinovsky, retire a bitch. Yeah. Four and a half stars. <laughs> retire a bitch. That's not fair. <laughs> I still like Black Swan. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's very obvious his sort of homaging or, if you want to mm. say, stealing from this. So, can we can we say that Cohn as a director is like like the most lifted the most like referenced the most stolen from anime director by by hollywood directors i don't know i mean i i've only seen perfect blue so i don't know i mean you think I there's mean, just i mean in inception and paprika there's just like such a clear right connection there yeah and uh you know i don't know I mean, I don't know. yeah, I mean, that's... If I, mean, I can find a third director, I might, uh, hmm. <laughs> I might... I might agree with my statement. Aronofsky did it first, so... Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Cone, I mean, he seems to be... Uh, like, this film has a lot of similarities with, with um, Paranoia Agent also, because Paranoia Agent is about a, a kid who's assaulting people in the city and they finally when they finally catch him they realize that he's like he's living in a fantasy world and that he thinks that he's a hero and he's like slaying dragons and shit like that or like mm. defeating enemies and that's why he's doing it you know so it's like he seems like preoccupied with this idea of uh like fantasy versus reality and yeah dream <clears throat> dream yeah, that's also a big part of yeah and like what is reality yeah. that right all that kind of stuff it's a big part of millennium actress and mm. that also involves you know, an actress. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's also, yeah, yeah. it's it, not only fantasy versus reality, but like, as it, as it pertains to like popular culture as well, because yeah, in, in yeah. paranoia agent, he's playing this game. That's like an actual, like, it's like a, uh, like a dungeons and dragons kind of game. He has this book that he carries around with him that tells him like what character he is and what characters he's slaying and so forth. So mm. it's like, yeah, he seems very interested in that. And it makes sense because, you know, Japan obviously so sort of inundated with that kind of thing, like fantasy and role playing and pop culture and idols and shit like that. I don't know. Yeah. The stabbing of the photographer just that was so so real. Yeah. Just so real. I mean just disturbing and like like the way that he moves through it even like after he gets stabbed multiple times he goes and he closes that door and just stands there it just feels like a million different like accounts of stabbings that i've read on wikipedia like you mm. know you read about like like a serial killer's page and they have like witness accounts of what happened it just feels so real yeah everything that happens in that scene very disturbing mm. i watched this uh thursday night and Friday morning with one of my classes, uh, they're reading Julius Caesar, and we're mm. also watching the uh, <laughs> oh. like Charlton Heston sure. version, like as we go. Mm. Uh, and Friday we watched Caesar get stabbed, and uh, that is less realistic. <laughs> I'm sure no. it is. Shock. I'm sure it is. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, but I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't have any more notes about it, to be honest, but I, I, big fan, big fan. I mm. was unsure at the beginning, actually going into it. I, I mean, I enjoyed the beginning of it, but it wasn't until it really started to sort of, he started, Cone starts to do that stuff where he's disorienting the audience and that's, that's where it starts to get really interesting for me. And mm. by the end of it, I was fully 
engrossed. So loved it. Cool. Good pick, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, finally. <laughs> I, don't, I don't keep track of our picks. I don't. I do. I do. Mm. <laughs> I have three separate letterbox lists: one for Jr.'s picks, one for Kevin's pick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're all on the same list. I don't know who's picked what. Right. But um, yeah. So ratings. Uh, yeah, I gave it a. I'm giving it a four and a half. Uh, very, very happy. I'm also giving it a four and a half. Same. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, it's like this has got to be the highest rated movie that either of us, Kevin, have picked for Jr. Jr's never given one of our picks a four and a half before. That that, that cannot be true. That is absolutely true. One hundred percent. Well, I think you well, gave like a four and a half to Life of Brian, taste. didn't you? Did you? Yeah. Okay. But you'd yeah. seen that yeah. before, though. You'd seen that before, I had. though. Right. Okay. I had that, seen that, that, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. <laughs> I don't remember. What was your movie for the fiftieth episode? Me. Yeah, John. The, you loved it, Julian Donkey Boy. <laughs> That's why I didn't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that mini devious aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did not give that movie a four and a half. <laughs> I think I did. Oh, sure. Were. Julian Donkey Boy. Pretty sure I oh, gave nice. it a four and a half. I think it dropped to a four and a half for me. Oh, right. When I, watched, when I rewatched it, but I still love it. But uh, anyway. Um, okay, well, let's... Uh, what do we do? Are we doing Cone or are we doing the first six voice actors? Uh, I mean, if we do cone, haven't we? It's only like it's five things. I guess it's six things. I think uh, Kevin would win if it was cone mm. because you haven't well, watched that one minute short, Jr. Yeah, let's do cone. Okay, let's do cone. Just yeah, no, uh, no randomizing. Okay, I've got. Uh, let's see. I'll say mine first because I'm definitely lowest. I've watched two, so I'm at twenty eight percent. I'm at four. I win. Five. <laughs> That's got to be Kevin's nice. first win, eh? I think so, actually. <laughs> yeah. I was actually i i watched I was watching Paranoia Agent. I, I've been meaning to see it, so I was like, "This is good anyway," and I can watch it. But then uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, if I watch Paranoia Agent, they haven't seen that, and then I could watch all three of those other movies, and then I'll mm. be in the lead. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't have time, you know. <laughs> so much time. But, uh, okay, well, Kevin, you got it. So this is out of, uh, our new list has 2,713 movies so far on it. So here, I'm going to generate the number. Here we go. The number is 261. 261. So it's going to be on page three of my Crossing Mm -hmm. Cannons list. Okay, I've got it. I see it. It's a. Uh, That's gonna suck. It's my night at Mods. Eric Romare or Rome? Is it Romare or Rome? I don't know. I don't know. I just say Romer. <laughs> Romer. It's Eric Romer. My night at Mods. All right. From 1969, okay. which Jar loves. So this is not a punishment for him at all. Mm. I mean, this is uh This is. This is like a big deal French New Wave movie here. Mm. I have seen none of Romare's films, so this will be my first Eric Romare film. 
All right. See, and that's that's what I was saying. Um, that's a good. If thing. we're gonna make this homework, we should make it valuable homework. I agree. Mm. I agree with you, uh, especially now that this has happened. So uh, <laughs> this is on, good. It's uh, on HBO Max and Criterion Channel. I literally so. have never even heard of this movie. I've heard of some Romeo films, but I've never heard of this. Mm. I haven't. I'm sorry. I'm not. I mean, this is. I would guess this is like it, it, this would probably be the first Romer Romer that people see. I don't know. It's definitely his. It's his second on his list. So the Green oh, really Ray is number one. That's honestly weird, but okay. The Green Ray is good. It's from 1986. Anyway, um, all right. So yeah. So next time we're going to be watching. Uh, well, Jr. and I are going to be watching My Night at Mods. Kevin, take a break. You're good. You can uh, you can relax. <laughs> And uh, next next time it's my pick, and uh, I have a pick, and it is Appaloosa from 2008, directed by Ed Harris, starring Ed Harris, okay. Viggo Mortensen, and uh, Renee Zellweger, which is a film I saw in the theater by myself and have not looked at again since then, but I own the Blu-ray, so I must have liked it. So we're going to be watching Appaloosa, mm, our 700th right. Western. <laughs> You were absolutely right. About what? I'm not happy about this. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I don't, this is a this is a movie I've never wanted to see. I don't know why exactly. But I don't either. I, I don't think know why you wouldn't want to see it. I think I it's, have it's got seen good this. reviews. <laughs> oh really? Well, you don't have it marked, bud. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Time to rewatch, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, I think it's going to be fine. I remember loving it actually in the theater and. Uh, so I, I'm just excited to check it out again. Ed Harris has such a small, small catalog of directing work. Okay, so this is, is this a Seven Samurai thing? What? They're hired to police a small town that is suffering under the rule of a rancher? And the, isn't that the, the, isn't that like 90% of Westerns? <laughs> I don't think it's a Seven Samurai thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah. It's more like the, it's more like a, a Man with the Gun, the uh, the Robert Mitchum yeah. one, where he's hired to sort of clean out the town because he's and that's like his job. I think it's like that, like that's their job to sort of go town to town and be a town tamer, mm. as they say in that film. A town tamer, <laughs> town tamer. I like that. Uh, I am tamer. I like that. So yeah, that'll be our show next time. Uh, until then, visit our website at filmyakpodcast.com, which. JR was claiming didn't work earlier, but I think his internet just it, sucks. And then it worked. <laughs> and then it worked. <laughs> Good. Uh, uh, com. You can uh, email us at uh, podcast at gmail.com. You can like and follow us on uh, iTunes or Stitcher and on Instagram at podcast. And until next time, we'll see you later. Thanks for listening. Bye. As I can be blue and blue, heartache or heartache, blue and blue. Now that we are through, blue and blue, heartache or heartache, and I find.